I really hope everybody did, because if you didn't, I'm sunk. Like, there's nothing that's going to happen here. All right, so the, so the gospel reading for today is called the parable of the what? Uh, vineyard. Almost. Almost. Tenants? Yeah, the tenants. What's a tenant? It's a really confusing movie. I know that. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. What is... A, per, a tenant is a person that takes care of a vineyard. Yeah. Yeah, like it's... um. Like if you're the tenant of a house, you're like someone who's staying in the house, like you're renting the house, right? Um, but in the story, did the tenants, were they the ones who built the vineyard? No. 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 Who, who was it that built the vineyard? The master. Yeah, the master, like the owner of it. And, and who did, so who did it, did it belong to? Did it belong to the tenants or to the master? The master. Right, to the master. And he struck a deal with these tenants. He said, tell you what, I'll build this place, you can stay here, you'll work the land, but whenever I send one of my servants to get some of the fruit, just be sure to give it to them. And that's fair, right? But the owner sent some of his servants to gather some of the fruit. Um, but did the, the, did the tenants give the servants the fruit? No. no. What did they give them instead? A beating. A beating. That's nothing like fruit, right? So, so he sent the first servant there, and the tenants beat him up, right? How many times did the owner send servants all together? three times. And how many beatings did the servants get? Three, right? They're three for three. And so he, he was out of servants and he decided to send someone else. So who did the master decide to send? His son, his son right? So he was going to send his son. Why do you think he was going to send his son? Because they might respect him. They might respect him, right? Maybe they didn't respect the servants, but they would respect him. But what do the tenants do to his son? They kill him. They didn't just beat him, they killed him, right? And, and at the very end of the parable, it says that the owner of the vineyard would do something to the wicked tenants. What did he say that he would do? Kill them. He would come, he would destroy them, and then he would give the vineyard to who? Others. To other people. Now, guys, I don't know if you know this or not. This is one of the craziest parables in all of the Gospel of Luke. Did you know that th this is the next to last parable? There's only one parable left in all of Luke, and it's about a fig tree that's withering. And what makes this parable so interesting is it's really not that hard to understand. Who is Jesus talking to in this parable? There's a group of people who were there. It, what? The, the, Pharisees. the Pharisees, right? So with that, who do you think the tenants are in the parable? Pharisees. The Pharisees, right? And that would have been really obvious to everybody. Here's what's interesting, though. Whenever Jesus tells a parable, it's usually not this straightforward. The meaning is a little harder to find sometimes, but not this one. And what I want you to listen for today, if I don't bore you too much, what I want you to listen for today in the sermon is the explanation of why I think this parable is so straightforward. Okay? Any questions? Perfect. All right, back to your seat, guys. parables that we discussed last week, the parables of the good shepherd, the lost coin, the prodigal son, they all have discernible meanings. Each of them have discernible connections to Jesus and to those around him. And with each of those successive parables, Jesus weaves together a story that describes who he is, why he's there, and what he requires of those around him. And that story is essentially this, 
In the parable of the good shepherd, Jesus tells the Pharisees he's like a shepherd. And just like a shepherd would leave the flock in search of even just one lost sheep, so too is he searching for the lost sheep present in Israel. And when the Pharisees see him with prostitutes and tax collectors, when they see him consorting with the dregs of the world, he's doing exactly what a good shepherd would do. He's gathering the wayward sheep of Israel and bringing them back into the fold. The next parable, the parable of the lost coin, is very similar to the parable of the good shepherd, but there's one major distinction. In the parable of the lost coin, that which is lost isn't like losing one sheep. No, that which is lost in this parable is of supreme value. That which is lost is so valuable to its owner that they will turn over the entire house looking for it. In the parable of the lost coin, Jesus tells the Pharisees that when they look at the lost in Israel, all they can see is the filth and corruption that they have. All they can see is these people as garbage and scandal. But these wayward men and women the Pharisees scoff at and disregard are of supreme value to Jesus. They are of supreme value to him because he is their rightful owner, and he will turn over heaven and earth if that's what it takes to find them. And then Jesus moves into the parable of the prodigal son, and he lays the true reality of Israel bare for all to see. In this parable, the younger son who squandered his inheritance was far from a noble man. He was sensual and worldly. He was selfish and lazy. He abandoned his family in pursuit of his own physical pleasures, and he really didn't care how much grief that caused those around him. And it did grieve his father. In this parable, the father is a good, good man. The father is merciful and forgiving. The father is patient and kind. The father is the exact opposite of his younger son in almost every single way. And that's obvious for everyone to see. The younger son didn't have a heart like the father at all. And the very first person who would have indicted the younger brother for being the degenerate that he was, was the older brother. And in many ways, the older brother was nothing like the younger brother at all. The older brother was hardworking and diligent. He never left his father's estate. He never squandered anything the father ever gave to him. He could always be counted on to tend the land and do right by his father. And while it's true that the older and younger brothers differed greatly, the one critical similarity they shared was that neither of them had hearts like their father. The older brother was quick to judge and slow to forgive. He was self-centered, self-righteous. He was convinced that he was so virtuous and good and his younger brother so gross and pathetic that the father could not possibly love them both and remain consistent. The parable of the prodigal son at its base is Jesus telling the Pharisees this, for as different as the older and younger brother were, for as different as the Pharisees and prostitutes surely are, they are both suffering from the same exact problem. Neither of them had hearts like their father in heaven. Their sinfulness was being manifested in different ways. One was sensual and worldly, but the other was self-righteous and calloused. And neither of those descriptions are descriptions of the Father. The message of these three parables isn't hidden from us. It's not buried so deep in the text that you have to squint eyes just right to see it. But I admit you do have to work a little in order to piece three, three, these three parables together and to see them as one whole story. 
But if you're careful and you pay close attention, a beautiful story emerges from those parables of Jesus. The story of Jesus' parables usually follows a pattern of sin and forgiveness, repentance, redemption. But the parable of the wicked tenants seems to break from that pattern altogether. A man plants a vineyard, and this vineyard and everything in it belongs to the man, the vineyard's rightful owner. The owner allows the people there to work in his vineyard and tend the land, but the vineyard clearly doesn't belong to them. They're just stewards of it. One day, the owner sends someone to the vineyard to collect some of his fruit, grown in his vineyard. But instead of giving fruit to the owner, the tenants beat the owner's servant. The same exact thing happens to the owner's second and third servants as well. The first beating could be written off as a misunderstanding, but three beatings? Not a chance. This was intentional. Clearly, the tenants thought their claim to the vineyard superseded that of the owners. Clearly, they thought they had the power and authority and right to claim this vineyard for themselves. So the owner comes up with a plan, and the hope is that this plan will shock these rebellious tenants to their senses. He's done sending servants to collect what's his. This time, he'll send his very own son. And surely the mere sight of the vineyard owner's son will remind these rebellious tenants they own nothing here. Everything they see around them belongs to the owner, and their job is to steward these things, not claim them as their own. But the tenants see the arrival of the son not as a chance to repent, but as a chance to permanently seize control of the vineyard. The tenants kill the son, and now that the owner has no heir, they think the vineyard will be theirs. But the tenants have made a crucial, crucial miscalculation. It turns out that the tenants will own nothing, even if they kill the heir. Because when the owner of the vineyard hears they've killed his son, he will come and destroy the tenants himself, and their places as tenants in the vineyard will be given to someone else. They thought killing the owner's son would ensure their victory, but as it turned out, killing the son of the owner was the exact way their demise would be ensured. The stone that was rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, Jesus doesn't usually teach like this. When he spoke to a group of people, his parables would be stern. They would, they would be harsh even, but there would always be a glimmer of hope in them. There would always be this sense that forgiveness was being offered, that redemption was still possible. But this parable seemingly has none of those qualities. This parable is one of the most bleak and visceral parables in the entire Bible. So what's Jesus up to? Why does he tell such a harsh parable? Well, remember that by the time we get to today's gospel text in Luke 20, the gospel story is nearing its end. Luke 20 takes place after the triumphal entry and after the cleansing of the temple. Jesus only has days to live, and he knows it. And so the tone of his speech in this parable reflects that urgency. But there's something else to notice here. Jesus uses this parable not primarily as a way of teaching, but as a way to confront his accusers and murderers. He uses this parable as a way to say, I see you. I know what you've done to those who have been sent to you in the past. I know you beat the prophets, you spit upon them, and you shamed the servants that have been sent by my father. Servants who have come to claim the fruit of his vineyard are treated with scorn and contempt by you. 
Israel has always treated the prophets like this. But what these evil tenants are about to do to the son of the vineyard owner, what they're about to do to the son of the father will not ensure their safety. It will not guarantee their positions of power and authority in Israel. No. Rejecting Jesus like one rejects a useless rock, killing Jesus like he's a nobody will be the very thing that ensures their own destruction. The vineyard owner will have the last word when it comes to the murderers of his son. The parables of the good shepherd, the lost coin, the prodigal son, offer a gospel picture of sin and redemption. But the parable of the tenants shows us just how deep that sinfulness can go. A brazen self-centeredness that runs so deep that God himself suffers at the hands of sinners, at the hands of illegitimate tenants that are living in his vineyard. Jesus knew that Good Friday was just around the corner. He knew that his death was mere days away. He tried parables that explained who he was. He tried parables that described what he was doing, and none of them seemed to make a difference to the Pharisees. And in one last attempt, in one of the last parables Jesus ever speak, he reaches out one last time, not with a lesson, not with an explanation, but with a warning. And as we edge ever nearer his crucifixion, I urge you, take this time to search your hearts. Take this time to be reflective. Ask the Lord if there's places in your life where he's trying to get your intent attention but instead of listening to him, you dismiss him. Ask the Lord if you've illegitimately taken control of things that aren't yours to control, areas that you were supposed to be stewards of on the Lord's behalf. Because if you do that, if you go to him and ask if your heart is right before him, he will tell you the truth every time. He will tell you exactly what he wants to address in your heart. And if you would but let him, he would take your wild and rebellious heart and make it into something beautiful.